Good morning. How are you all doing this morning? Did you guys enjoy the rain yesterday? Reminded me a little bit of Papua New Guinea, except for in Papua New Guinea, it probably never would have stopped most of the day, and uh, some of our cars would have been floating away. Okay, not quite that bad, but a couple times we'd wake up the next morning in Papua New Guinea, and there would be over 10 inches of rain that had fallen that particular night, which made for awesome, luscious green everywhere. And I'm uh, very thankful for the rain that the Lord brought to us yesterday. I am Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here, and we are walking through the book of Acts. And we find ourselves this morning in chapter 18, looking at the Apostle Paul in the town of Corinth. And we've been watching Jesus at work, and this morning we are going to See that you and I, much like the Apostle Paul, that we should never give up. And yet, if you are like me, there are no doubt times in your life where you feel like you should just give up. In fact, possibly if you're like me, you, you do give up on different things. And as we came home from the mission field, when, when we were on the mission field, we usually got the Olympics like, you know, a couple months late. Somebody would put them on a DVD and send them to us. And, and because we lived in the bush, it wasn't like we heard who had won this or who had lost this or, or that. But it's, it's a blessing once we came home from the mission field that we could actually watch the Olympics in live time. And for those of you who don't know, I, I was a runner in high school. I ran in college. And I tend to kind of zero in on track and field, more of the long distance one mile, two mile, 5,000, 10,000 meter kind of races and even the marathon. And it, at some point when we came home and I was attending seminary, I, I heard about this man, Mo Farah, who was from Britain, who was a 10,000 meter runner. Not only was a 10,000 meter runner, but he was a very, very good 10,000 meter runner. In fact, he had won the Olympics before 2016 and the gold medal. And now as it moved to Rio He set his sights on winning another gold medal, back-to-back gold medals. And I don't know if any of you saw that race, but as the race began, and and mind you, this is 6.2 miles, and if you're incredibly fast, like like Mo Farah, you could do it in, in just a little bit over 27 minutes. So we're talking a long race. And as the race begins, and it's still in the beginning section of the race, there, there's some sort of squabble, and, and Mo Farah gets clicked by another guy, and before you know it, he's on the ground. And you're watching, and you're thinking, that just should not happen. This is a long-distance race. Normally, you give the guy lots of space. Oh, man, Mo Farah, he's done. But instead, within like so many seconds, he pops back up, and now instead of being right in the front pack, he's a little bit behind, but but within like probably 20, 25 seconds, he's caught back up with the front pack. And then you're watching and you're just wondering exactly if this guy's going to be able to hold up. And if you're like me, you're thinking, no way, he's given himself already way too much energy in getting himself back up. And, and they zero in. You can see like a little, a little mark where he's been cut on his shoulder. And yet the reality is for the next so many laps, for the next so many miles, he's right in the front. And he's competing against the, the, the Kenyans and, and I can, maybe Ethiopian. I can't remember who else 
was up front with him, but he's competing again for the gold medal. And as he gets around to where there's only two more laps, the one thing Mo Farah was known for was his kick at the end. That he always had a strong finish. But everyone is thinking, oh, I'm sure he has nothing left in the tank. And yet the reality is, do you know what happens? He takes the gold medal. Even though he had to jump up, he never gave up. And, and when it was all said and done, he won the gold medal. And as he was interviewed, I thought it was so interesting. Do you, do you know what he says was, was the, the strongest pull for him not to do well? It, it wasn't so much the other runners. It wasn't his training because he'd done so much training. It was his own mind. It was the fear that he had inside himself that he had to basically keep pushing aside the fact that he would kind of tell himself, oh man, you're not going to have enough energy at the end. And I don't know about you, but for me, that, that's, that's the way that sometimes my mind works. That, that fear wreaks havoc upon me. And I think, oh, if I do this and do that, then, then this is going to be the, the result. And so what do I do? At, at times, I, I just give up. Today, what we are going to see from the Apostle Paul is, is how the Lord meets the Apostle Paul and encourages him, challenges him, and actually commands him, hey, you know, you can't give up, Paul. Why? Because I'm with you. Why? Because my power is going to be displayed before you, through you, and in you. And what an encouragement for us this morning as we gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that He is doing throughout the book of Acts. So turn with me, if you're not there yet, to Acts chapter 18. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 to 11 this morning. But let me begin in verse 5 to kind of back up where we were last week. Remembering that as Paul comes into Corinth, he's, he's feeling alone. He's all alone as he arrives, except for the Lord being with him. And then he meets up with Aquila and Priscilla. And at that time, in the beginning, he's, he's doing this full-time work and then he's doing ministry on the side. And God in His goodness brings along Silas and Timothy so we can transition out of having to, to do the tent making work along with ministry. And now He can do ministry 100% of the time. And that's where we pick it up in, in verse 5. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we once again thank You for the eternal Word, for Your Word. 
And we once again ask that you would help us. That you would help me to rightly divide your word. That you would make your word clear. And that you would allow your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word. To make your word clear and understandable. So that we might apply it to our lives. That we might live it out. That we would follow the example of the Apostle Paul. That we would gain the encouragement that you want us to gain this morning from your word. So thank you for your word. And go before our time now. And anything that might be distracting us. That you would keep those things from us. That you would allow us to cast those aside. And that we would hear from you now. In Jesus name. Amen. So we pick things up with the Apostle Paul in Corinth. And as I was reading different commentaries and and, and different historians on, on what is going on during this time in Corinth, there was quite a lot of commentaries who actually put a whole lot of stock and emphasis on Aquila and Priscilla saying, oh, not only were they long saved before they came to Corinth, but they were mature believers. And and they actually were the leaders of, of, of a church in Rome. And that's why they were cast out of Rome and why they had to come to Corinth. And, and so there was already a church meeting that Aquila was leading and that they were involved in and, and all this other stuff. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm looking at this and, and well, I, don't, I don't see that anywhere. Why wouldn't Aquila be leading a church? And, and why wouldn't we just assume that, that this church in Corinth was started by Aquila and Priscilla? Well, because God's Word doesn't tell us that, for one. And, and we're told that the Apostle Paul planted the church in, in Corinth. But I think it, it goes even more to the fact of what the Lord is doing in and through the Apostle Paul. For what we're going to see by the time we're finished this morning is the only place where Paul is going to spend more time in a city and in all of his missionary journeys is Ephesus. He stops here and he hankers down and he spends a lot of time in Corinth. Why? I believe he was discipling, discipling, discipling. He was evangelizing and more and more Corinthians were being saved. But I believe that he was investing much and much into so many of the Corinthians, but particularly into Aquila and Priscilla. So much so that when he leaves Corinth and travels on to Ephesus, as we're going to see next, but that's not going to be for several weeks because we're going to take a little break out of the book of Acts. I'd encourage you all to come next week as we begin a a three-week series on worship. I want to take us to God's Word and prepare our hearts for what worship should be. How we worship, who we worship, who's involved in worship. But, but the Apostle Paul is, is, is investing and he's discipling many in Corinth. And, he, and the Lord uses Paul in the life of Aquila and Priscilla and perhaps they, they didn't have scrolls to read. And perhaps Aquila didn't have the the backing that the Apostle Paul had with all of his years as as, as being a a Pharisee. And so Aquila was able to be trained by Paul. 
Perhaps that, that's all the reason why we, we don't see the church firmly established until Paul gets there. But as I considered that this week and, and even yesterday as a, we, we drove around as a, as a family, I, I, I was convicted with this idea of discipleship. And what I mean by that is, is even though I, I would say long term wise, I, I, I'm not a man that gives up as far as investing in my family on a, on a daily basis, on opportunities that the Lord gives, I would say many times I give up. That I don't even recognize that I am settling just to sit in the car in silence with my kids when the Lord has given me an opportunity to share with my kids, to, to dump into them, so to speak, to ask them more heart-probing questions. And yesterday as we drove around, I was convicted as there was silence and, and then my wife jumps in and, 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 and just starts to really dig deep into one of our children. Man, is, is that the way that, that, that I live? Is that even the way that I think through the, the way that I minister in my own family? I, I ask you this morning, what about you? What does this discipleship look like? It, it doesn't always have to look formal like, like we might see here in Corinth. But what does it look like in your family? In your involvement with, with our church here, with Rancho Baptist Church? You, you heard already that, that after the third service, we're going to have an opportunity for those who would like to, to be involved in, in looking after the kids, serving in the children's ministry. That is a wonderful opportunity to disciple. Perhaps the Lord would have you be involved in something like that. But what we see with the... Apostle Paul is that the Lord uses some things, some reminders for Paul to allow him not not to give up. And he gives two specific times in which I believe that all of us are tempted to give up. And it may not be long term that we would give up, but definitely on on a temporary basis, if we run into these things, that the temptation for us is to give up. And And the first thing, that we see is, is this. When people ridicule you and your God, you, you, you wanna, you wanna give up, you wanna close your mouth, you, you don't wanna go back to that particular person again, right? This is what we see in, really in verses six all, six and seven and, and look at what it says. But when they resisted, who's it speaking? It's speaking of the Jews that Paul before was ministering to Sabbath after Sabbath. He wasn't being consistent, but but now he's being consistent and he's proclaiming more and more of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he proclaims more and more, we see that they resisted and blasphemed. And as a result, he shook out his garments and said to them, your, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. We, we see first that, that this attack or, or this pushback by the Jews is, is twofold. It's not just that they are blaspheming God, which they are. And it's not just God, but it's the Lord. And when we see that word Lord, presented in the book of Acts, it is always pointing back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the Greek word blasphemo. This this is to blaspheme. This is to defame, to speak irreverently of. 
So that is indeed what they were doing. They were shaking their fists in Christ's face and saying, no, we don't want you as our Messiah. But it's more than that. They were also shaking their fists in in Paul's face as the word here to resist is to resist a person, not so much a deity. And so on the one hand, they are resisting Paul to his face, but they are also resisting and blaspheming God. And perhaps if if, if you're like me, when, when that kind of thing happens, what I want to do is, is I want to be defensive. I want to give them all the reasons why they need to understand what I'm saying is true. And I, I want to push back. And, and maybe even I want to go back and, well, okay, if you're going to deride me and you're going to be mean, and, and, and well, then I'm going to be mean-spirited right back to you. But we don't see any of that with the Apostle Paul. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, and, and I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 1 shows us why Paul responds the way that he responds. Because Paul knew something that all of us should recognize. That when we present the gospel, that for many, 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 except for those that the Lord has opened up their eyes, their blind eyes to see, and their cold hearts Except for those, this is the way that most are going to respond to the gospel. They're either going to look at it as something entirely foolish, or they're going to look at it as something entirely offensive, if not both. That's the way that it's going to go. That's the norm. And we need to recognize this so that when somebody responds to us, we don't take it as some sort of of personal offense and attack on us. This is what the Apostle Paul has to say to these Corinthians whom we're now reading about. He says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice the the contrast over and over again. Foolishness on the one side, but to those of us that are being saved, oh, it is not foolish at all. It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Implication, there is none. Where is the scribe? That doesn't help you. Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So this is the norm that they're not always going to get it. In fact, more times than not, they're, they're going to push back and they're going to say, that's foolish. What do you mean? God became a man? And, 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 he, and he died upon a cross? Well, why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. We need to earn our way. Or what have you. It's, it's going to be foolish. It's, it's going to be offensive. But, but we see that the way that Paul responds, and instead of pushing back, the first thing that he does, interestingly enough, is he, he kind of does this little mini drama. Did you see it? He, he shakes out his garments. I mean, what is that? How many of us would do that? How many of us would even understand if you shook out your garments? 
How many, you understand when I do that? You have no idea what I'm, what I, what I'm doing right now is I'm telling you, yes. That, that's the way the people in Papua New Guinea would say, yes. If they were really, really excited about something, they'd do that. What is that's culture? And, and when he shook out his garments, this is culture. This is Jewish culture. This is deep. This goes back to Nehemiah. There's significance behind what the Apostle Paul is, is doing here. He hasn't even said a word yet, but he's totally communicated a whole bunch. Because what's happening in Nehemiah at this particular time, remember they're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And they're just about being attacked, right? Their enemies are, are waiting for any opportunity to, to dismantle their work. And so what do they have to do? They have to hold a spear with one hand and, and kind of a hammer with the other. But it's not just that. There's a severe famine that hits the land. And as the severe famine hits the land and, and the Jews are working on the wall, that they're, they're running into financial hardship and difficulty. And so what do they do? They need food. And the only way they can get food is to, to sell their land. And, and yet the price of land continues to go up so high that they then can't pay any, off, any bit of their land off. And so what do they do? They have to give up some of their kids into slavery. And it continues to escalate. And you know who's making all of the money? Fellow Jews. And they're making money off of other Jews. And so Nehemiah hears about this and he says, wait a minute, stop. You cannot keep doing this. This is against what the Lord would desire for all of us. Look at, you know what I'm doing? I'm helping fellow Jews that are poor and having a hard time. I'm not, I'm not doing usury on them and raising up the rate so much that I'm becoming rich. I'm, I'm being gracious to them and you guys need to do that too. In fact, then he says this. He doesn't just say that to him. He does this. I also shook out the front of my garments and said, Thus, thus, may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus, may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord and the people did according to this promise. He was giving them a wake up. Hey, if you don't come go through with what you're applauding me for and now telling me, okay, yes, we're going to be nice to all these poor people and we're going to give them back their land and we're going to give them back their children that have been sold to us in slavery. Hey, if you don't do that, God is going to shake you up. In essence, what Paul is communicating, even before he said a word, God has shaken you up. But it's not enough for him just to give some sort of wordless drama. As he goes on and he says, your blood be on your own heads. This too had much significance to it. Turn with me if if you have your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. For this is where this comes from. And it's this idea of a watchman. And for you and I, the idea of a watchman is not very significant. It's not very important at all. We don't live within a city that has a great big wall around it. We don't live on a, on, in, in a daily world where we think about a, a neighboring village or a neighboring nation coming and opposing us. But that's the world that the Jews lived in, that the nation of Israel lived in, in the days of Nehemiah. And so the Lord tells them, hey, I, I want you to appoint a man. And look at what it says. In Ezekiel, 
33 verses 1. We'll, we'll go all the way to 6. As this is so helpful to understand all that, that Paul is communicating. Not just in, in, in his actions, but in the, the very words that he's saying. And the word of the Lord came to me. So this is Ezekiel saying this. Son of man, speak to the sons of your people. And say to them, if I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people, then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. There was a whole lot of symbolism behind what the Apostle Paul was getting at. He's letting them know, hey, you guys remember about the watchman. You remember how important the response to the watchman was. You had two choices. Either when you hear that sound of that trumpet blow, you respond and you get ready for war and you defend your home and you defend your city. Or it's not going to go well for you. And basically what Paul is saying is, I am the watchman. I have sounded the alarm. I have blown the trumpet. The trumpet is the gospel. The alarm is that you are going to die in your sins if you do not trust Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He is the coming one. He is the Savior of the world. You must trust in Him. That is the trumpet that He was sounding. But what did they do? They stiff-armed Him. They would not listen. But notice the significance behind what is being communicated here. Not only is it significant on on the side of the hearers, those who would listen to the, the sound of the trumpet, but there's some significance behind those who were the watchmen themselves. Because what could happen? The watchman could look, and and this is what I'm envisioning. A watchman looks and he sees an army that is so huge that he knows, oh, I don't care how many people we have in this city. There is no way we're going to make it through that. So I don't even have time to blow the trumpet. I'm out of here. I'm going to go grab my horse and I'm gone. Why? Because he was more concerned about himself than he was about those that the Lord had given him. Had entrusted him with their... Protection. And isn't that very similar to us? That the Lord has entrusted us with the gospel. What are we doing with the gospel? What does this look like on a, on a daily, on a weekly basis for us all? Hey, I am not preaching to you. I am preaching to myself. Over and over again. We've seen this in the book of Acts. It keeps coming back again and again. What should we be involved in? We should be involved in the proclamation of the gospel. But don't miss up, mess up on, on what the significance is behind the faithfulness of God, of, of us and the fruitfulness of our God. All that 
the watchman was responsible for was blowing the horn, sharing the gospel, so to speak. It's the Lord's job on how they are going to respond. That's why the watchman was not held accountable. That's why Paul was not held accountable to how these Jews respond, just as you are not held accountable and responsible to how someone will respond to you when you proclaim the gospel. But we must proclaim the gospel. Let, let me make this even, even more pertinent. Could it be that we could look at what is being represented with the, with the watchman blowing of, of the trumpet as a, as a pastor or preacher proclaiming the Word of God Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? And that as that man stands and proclaims the Word of God, that he is bugling out the salvation message of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is proclaiming God's truth. And now all of those who sit under that teaching, they are now given a choice. Either to take that Word and apply it and hold it fast to their hearts and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And then walk in the newness of of that particular truth or to reject it and to think about all the other things that you can do throughout the day and throughout the, the rest of your week and miss the opportunity and, and miss the truth that, that God's Word is so clear in communicating. This is very much what we see in the book of James, is it not? That this is what James encourages, challenges all believers to do. That, that, but prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. We must ask the Lord to help us to become better at doing what the Word of God says. Instead of just continuing to fill our minds with more and more truth that we are never applying. To take this to the world and to share Him with others. And as we do that, do you know what happens? The Lord shows up. The Lord shows up. Look at how the Lord shows up as Paul is being faithful. Look at verse 7. So Paul says, okay, it's on you. I have done everything that I can do. I faithfully proclaimed the gospel to you Jews, but now I'm I'm turning my back on you. On all Jews? No. Just the Jews in Corinth. He's going to keep going to a synagogue when he comes into a new city. God's not done with the Jews, but in this particular city, because they kept rejecting Christ, Paul knew, okay, my time with the Jews in this particular city is done. And look at what the Lord does. Then he he goes before him. And in this man whose name is Titius Justus, who we see as a worshiper of God, is that enough to get him saved? No, he must have got saved. He must have heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He must have recognized that he was a sinner, that he needed God's grace, God's help. And that's why Jesus came and he trusted in Jesus to pay the penalty for his sins. Yes, that's what Titius Justice believed in. And he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, hey, Paul, why don't you guys meet at my house? And then Luke adds this as if it's some sort of little humorous, funny note. Oh, yeah, and his house was right next to the synagogue. How do you think that would have made all these Jews feel? Who had heard Paul's preaching for week after week already. And now they find, okay, he, he's, he's left us alone and he's given us this strong admonition and, and, and he's next door. 
And we see him over there. And we hear them over there. And, 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 and don't you believe that this had to ride them and this had to be all sorts of friction on them and, and make them and gr- allow them to become more and more infuriated with what was happening. And if that itself isn't enough, look what happens next in verse eight. And who the Lord saves of all the people to save, this would have been the last person on the face of the planet that I would have thought that either the Jews or Paul was thinking was going to be saved, but look at who it is. Crispus, the leader of that synagogue. And not just him, but him and his whole family, that or his whole household. That doesn't mean that because Crispus believed that they all then just get to go on on his faith. Oh, he's got a ticket to heaven, so then we all must have a ticket to heaven. No, it's it's understood as we've seen throughout the book of Acts that his whole household must have been there listening to the gospel being proclaimed. And as a result, they trusted in Christ. They then believe. But do you believe that they actually would have thought that somebody of of this status would have been saved? I I certainly don't think so. I'll bet that even Paul was surprised. And yet, should should we be surprised? I want you all to stop and to think about the last person on the face of this planet that you know of that you would think, man, that person just can't be saved. I want you to think of someone like that. I don't know about you, but when I frame that kind of mind, I have a person that comes to mind. Do you have someone this morning who they've heard the gospel, but they've rejected it again and again and again? And, and so to a certain extent, you're now to the place to where I, I don't think that'll ever happen. Do you have someone like that? Even if you don't have someone like that, do you know someone who does not know Christ that is close to you? Do you have that person in mind? Let's take it a step further. The reason why we're gathering this evening is is because we want to become a praying church. And we were meeting before on Saturday mornings, once a month, whenever the elders would pray or have one of our meetings, we'd pray, but, but, but there were only a handful of folks that were coming and joining us and we get it Saturday mornings. It's a, it's a tough, tough call. There's so many things going on. And so we thought, okay, maybe if we switch our prayer time to to Sunday evening, maybe more would come. Why? Because we believe that prayer is that important. Okay, if you believe prayer is that important, we'd love to see you tonight. But I don't know how many I'm going to get tonight. How many of you are actually going to come? So right now, that person that you have been thinking about that is not saved, that that perhaps in your mind, oh, I don't, I don't, that's, man, that's a, that's a tough one, Lord. Can we stop? And not out loud, each of us individually, pray to the Lord. And ask for the Lord to save that person. Just ten seconds. Let let, let me just stop everything that we're doing. and And I want you to pray for that person. So let's pray. Amen. Now, as you prayed to the Lord for that particular person, did you actually believe in your heart with faith that the Lord could indeed save that person? 
I believe that's one of the takeaways here with this man. With how the Lord has saved Crispus in verse 8. That there is nobody beyond the scope of God's grace that the Lord cannot reach. So let's continue to pray for that person and for those kinds of people. But what we see next in, in, in this whole account is very peculiar to me. It's, it's strange. To me, this is out of place. Because what we're going to see next is, is some sort of hint that Paul was, was struggling with fear. And yet, all of his circumstances point to a complete different conclusion. I, I could see him being, being upset, depressed, maybe then fearful as he comes into Corinth. But now, at, at this juncture and in, in, in the way that everything is played out, I'm thinking things are looking pretty good for the Apostle Paul right now. Right? There, there's many that are being saved, including the leader of the synagogue. He's got these friends, Aquila and Priscilla, that he's becoming better and better friends with. Timothy and Silas have returned. He's now ministering with them. Come on, Paul, what, what, what's the problem? And yet at times, can't fear come and control us and take us? as it's captive, before we even truly recognize it. And what we see is God's wonderful grace showing up to the Apostle Paul as we see this. That we might be tempted to give up, but we should never give up when fear tries to control us, tries to control you. We see this in verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. So so what does the Lord do? The Lord shows up. The Lord communicates to Paul. And he lets Paul know without any shadow of a doubt. He makes it oh so clear that he's got this. Not only does he have this, but he makes it so clear that Paul's efforts won't be wasted. That the Lord is going to indeed save many people. That he has many people in this city. The idea here is they're not saved yet. Paul doesn't know who they are. But this is God's reassurance to Paul. Hey, you do what you need to do and I do and I will do what I will do. I will go before you, Paul. I am with you now. And how encouraging is that to us? That the Lord indeed who went before Paul is the same Lord that goes before us. That it is His job to save. It is our job to merely communicate with all those that we come in contact with who the Lord Jesus Christ is. But notice, even though God is incredibly gracious... Even though God literally shows up and, and, and it's the Lord, it's Jesus that shows up to Paul. And he gives them encouragement. He lets them know even what the future is going to look like. Hey, Paul, many are going to be saved. You stay here. You keep going, Paul. But he doesn't keep it at that. He also has some strong words. He has literally three commands that he gives him. And what is the first command? The first command is... Is do not fear. Obviously, Paul was fearing. But what could he be fearing about? 
Everything is going good. They have a place to meet. This is where the church in Corinth was meeting. In Crispus, in, in Titius's house. He, he had new believers. Presently, I can't see anything that Paul would be fearful about. The only thing he could be fearful about is the same thing that you and I are, are always consumed with. It's the future. It's the what if. It's the what about tomorrow. It's the, oh, I, I look back on the past and this happened. Well, obviously, if it happened back then, then it's probably going to happen tomorrow. And could it be that that's where Paul is? And yet, where does he need to be? He needs to be here with, with Joshua. And this is where we should be. This is where all believers are to be. We're, we're to walk by faith, not in fear. How Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was the Lord's answer. The Lord's answer to his fear, to his anxiety, to his worry, to your fear, to your anxiety, to your worry is the Lord's presence. That the Lord does go with you, the Lord does go before you, and his power. That nothing is beyond our God. But he doesn't stop there. He he goes on more. And And he says, okay, not only are you not to fear, Paul, but I want you to do something as well. And he says, go on speaking. This means that, that the proclamation of the gospel needed to continue to be a priority for the Apostle Paul. And for you and I, it should be the priority as well. Don't let the emotion of fear keep you from sharing Christ with someone. Again, I'm much more talking and preaching to myself than I am to you because it is something that scares me to death too. It is so much easier to go to Papua New Guinea, the jungles there, and proclaim Christ than it is to go to my next door neighbor. I get it. I'm, I'm with you. But that doesn't mean that the Lord does not want me to still go for it and to take a step forward. Why? Because He will be with me. We... We see this in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which says this, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, that we should trust in the Lord, that we should step forward and share Christ with others. And, and the final command that sorry that the lord gives is not to be silent that we are to go on even in, in even in the midst of fear even if we don't have all of the verses memorized that we should go ahead and step forward and share christ with others isn't it incredible to think that the lord jesus christ had to command the apostle paul not to be silent I don't know what your perception is of the Apostle Paul, but I never visioned him as a man who was ever silent when it came to the gospel. I see him being a street preacher that everywhere he went, he would share Christ with anyone and everyone. And yet we see here that Paul too struggled with fear. This should be an encouragement to us all. For if the Apostle Paul struggled with it, and the Lord encouraged him, cannot the Lord encourage and go before us? So, what does the Apostle Paul do? Let me close with this. Verse 11. 
He responds to what the Lord says. He obeys the commandment of the Lord. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Now, while it's clear that, that we see that, that we should never give up, even when people ridicule us and ridicule our God, even when fear tries to control us, but there's something else here that, that I believe I, is so compelling. And that is this aspect of fellowship. This aspect of gathering together with other believers. Because think about where the Apostle Paul was in verse 1 of chapter 18 as he arrives in Corinth. He's all alone. And now what has the Lord done? The Lord has provided friend after friend. Believer after believer. Now as they gather in the house of Titius Justice, it's not just two guys. It's got to be 40 or 50 people. Maybe more. And what is the lesson for you and I? The lesson is that if the Lord needed to encourage Paul through the fellowship of other believers to strengthen Paul's faith, to encourage him, to comfort him, then shouldn't we be involved as well in one another's lives and in fellowship with fellow believers? Just as it says here, and let me close with what we see in Hebrews as the writer of Hebrews recognized how important it is for believers to, to have fellowship with one another. Where he says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us con- consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I believe this is what gave Paul that that extra courage as he gathered with other believers and as they mingled with one another and as they encouraged one another and as they shared life with one another, that this gave Paul more and more excitement, more courage to keep going on. And that's why he stays there for a year and a half. What kind of involvement do, do you have in the lives of other believers? What what does that look like? We still have opportunities in our community groups. Please come and and join a a, a CG and get involved in what the Lord is doing in and among us. I have some points to ponder. You You can look at those throughout the week as well. But let me close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for the encouragement from Your Word that You go before us. That You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. That we are to be Your watchmen. That we are to proclaim Your truth. Your precious Gospel. That we are to to leave the results up to You. Would You help us to do that? Would You continue to encourage us in that? That You'd go before us And that you would cause us to be more like you. And to share you with those around us. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. 
Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.